Hello and welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name is Stephen Walsh. Coming up, we'll be talking to Andrew Salmon from Gosh Comics, all about the shop's fascinating history and their plans for the future. But first, here's some information on some other comics podcasts you may enjoy. Oh, we've had an email asking if we wanted to do an advert for the Avery Hill podcast. Oh, that's nice of them. Does that mean we can't swear? Yeah, pretty much. So, no words like or and definitely no Oh, Gabriel Comics. Yeah, they're nice. Uh, we're the Awesome Comics Pod. You can find us at awesomecomics.podbean.com or on iTunes and as the Awesome Comics Podcast and buy a copy of our Awesome Comics Anthology at www.awesomecomicpod.bigcartel.com Oh, that was very professional, wasn't it? I knew that girl, right? Oh, Jesus. In the monthly radio show on comics, Panel Borders, you can hear Alan Moore... Rehabilitation of Godzilla. Sandy Toxvig. There's something about the cartoon world that, honestly, in these grim times, is rather preferable to flesh and blood sometimes. Chris Riddell. I have a draw in my studio. Um, it's the naughty draw. And many more writers and artists talking about their craft. More info at www.panelborders.wordpress.com. A little bit of exciting Avery Hill news now, and we've uploaded a lot of our backlist, including some out of print titles as PDFs for purchase up on Gumroad. If you go to gumroad.com forward slash Avery Hill, you can see the full selection. So that's G-U-M-R-O-A-D dot com forward slash A-V-E-R-Y-H-I-L-L. And now, let's chat to Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. So do you want to just introduce yourself in terms of what your... I want to say job title and role, but obviously since I've worked there, that's expanded massively. But where you are in the shop <laughs> right now? Sure. So my name is Andrew Sam, and I am one of the owners and the manager of Gosh Comics. In general, I kind of run the, the sort of day-to-day operations of the store, set systems in place, blah, blah, blah. I also handle all of the new comics ordering, I oversee all of the book ordering, uh, and do other things <laughs> as when they're needed really I, pretty I much gaps. anything and everything in it <laughs> and i delegate jobs out to people who are better at those jobs than i am that's uh, probably the biggest part of my job <laughs> <laughs> so uh what is it this year for gosh 34 years 35 years i lose track 30, 34 this year 34 this year not bad so Feb- february february 14th 1986 is the opening date and obviously neither me or you were there for that opening day no but, no. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, not, no it's certainly something i think you're aware of working in the shop but the sort of history of it and the, the sort of particular place it has in london comic shop history hmm. yeah i mean it's you know it's a, it's kind of one of the one of the longest standing now and um sort of been through various ups and downs and you know, it was uh, obviously it started in '86 by um, Josh Palmano, uh, who came from uh, Forbidden Planet. He he came in with Barry North, who was also a colleague of his at Forbidden Planet. Um, but Josh uh, Josh opened the store. Barry came across and worked for him, and they kind of set things in place for it all, really. Um, but they had been. I mean, Josh has been working in comics since he was like 13. I think he had his first job, and he was working. <laughs> kind of um, Saturdays and working for guys at the comic marts 
and then I think he started at Forbidden Planet when he was 15, and then started Gosh when he was 19, I believe, 18, 19. Yeah, I mean, uh, crazy, really. I mean, you know, I was sort of just kind of messing about. <laughs> <laughs> we all were. We all, most you people know, were. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't have a clue what I was going to do with myself at that age. But anyway, no, so he, he sort of started up, uh, started up then. He started up in the Great Russell Street premises, which is uh, opposite the British Museum. And in the beginning, he, he was very much just like a, a back issue store. Uh, with a, you know, they did, some, they did new comics and back issues. Um, only one floor as well. The basement level wasn't open to the public at that point. Uh, it was just like stock room and stuff. So uh, yeah, so that I mean that's that's how it all kind of started off for the shop and sort of uh, developed over time around kind of Josh's interests as well uh, and Barry's interests um, and then also other people who who worked there kind of over time into a place that specialised in a lot of um, what you might call uh, sort of indie indie comics of the time. So Josh was a big Love and Rockets fan. They were kind of into the European comics that sort of stuff. So they kind of, had, from quite early on, started developing a, a much more diverse range of material than, than sort of other places had uh, for the most part. Uh, and I think Josh was quite keen from early on as well to, to make the store not what the typical comic store was at the time. So a place that was, um, you know, tidy. <laughs> sort of starters. You know, I, I think he was quite keen from early on to keep things like well-organized, tidy, professional, uh, and a place that wasn't alienating to, to the sort of general public. Uh, even though, obviously, at that time, the, the range of stuff you could offer was, was much, much less than you can today uh, in that respect. But uh, while also at the same time, he, he was still very much engaged in the, the classic periodical comics market as well, you know. And I should say we still are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's um, always amazing when you see uh, adverts, which I remember seeing yeah. in like comics magazines at the time for Gosh from sort of yeah. 88, 89. Uh, yeah. And it is sort of Maggie and Hokey, and there's all this talk yeah. of uh, sort of, you know, uh, I think the, the first sort of place I would have seen Calvin Hobbes uh, was Gosh. Do you know what I mean? Like long right, before yeah. Waterstones were stocking Calvin Hobbes collections. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bosch were, you know, possibly probably one of the first people in the UK to have Calvin Hobbes collections and stuff. That sort of thing, isn't it? Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And they were always um, uh, at that time, kind of looking to to bring in stuff that made them stand out in a way. So I think the idea was to uh, create a place where people could come looking for things that you know just you, you wouldn't see anywhere else. And uh, and I think. Kind of going down that same route as well. You know, very early on, he started carrying. Basically, once he had his own kids, started carrying uh, <laughs> uh, some of the kids' books that you just didn't really see around at the time, or um, sort of nice uh, American editions of them. Things like the the sort of the hardcover Doctor Seusses and some of the other uh, sort of stuff along those lines. You know, over the years, they sort of developed that reputation for uh, carrying uh, you know a good range of graphic novels, independent comics, things like that got to trouble with it occasionally they had uh, a rather infamous sort of customs raid at one point where they had a lot of stuff confiscated so that was all uh you know interesting times yeah i'm sure it was but, sort of horrific to live through but for me from the outside again this is long before i started working there but it did yeah. sort of cement in my mind this idea of gosh as being this sort of odd special place that did mm. do you know what I mean unusual things it gave them a certain sort of 
flavour. Like, I, I didn't have any particular interest in the stuff that they were getting pulled up for, but it was still interesting to sort of think of, gosh, as this sort of, like, outlaw operation almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, you know, uh, uh, that was, you know, they were, they were the, the alternative, really, wasn't they? At, at mm. a time where that kind of meant something, I think, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, who knows what the alternative is now? <laughs> but uh, um, the at that point, you know, they it was that sort of counterculture type thing, you know, you know, in that sort of eighties, nineties kind of way that they were very much a part of, and really sort of again developing that market for for kind of graphic novels. As soon as collections and things were available, they were very much about showcasing those sort of at, at the front of the store, and then I, I sort of came onto the scene in 2000 so I, I came over to the UK sort of September or August September 2000 I started at Gosh in September and um, prior to that I had been working for um, a comic shop in Wellington uh, back in New Zealand where I had been since 95 and so uh, it was what was originally Comics Compulsion and then uh, became Graphic and that's still going strong that's still the only uh, comic shop standing in Wellington uh, that I'm aware of, anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, the only the only worthwhile comic shop standing there, Uh And uh, but that, no, that, that's that's still doing that's still doing well. And they they've actually been in business since '82. I had been working there, uh, worked there for five years, and that was very much a, a kind of a classic sort of comic shop type job. But it was also very forward thinking in terms of the kind of products they carried and. Um, uh, Rod and Leo there had always been sort of big champions of like sort of uh, underground comics, um, independent comics, European albums and that sort of stuff. So um, they, they were really forward thinking in that respect. They had always had a, a really good range of that stuff. And so working there was a real, I mean, and being a customer there for years before as well, was a real eye opener for me because that exposed me to a, a, an awful lot of stuff that I just never would have seen otherwise, especially once I started working there, you know, being able to have access to their, um, to the sort of stock rooms and out the back where they just had, you know, boxes and boxes of, of collections that had been bought over time, which hadn't really <laughs> been kind of tapped into. Um, they had all kinds of stuff that was just like, oh, wow, you know. Uh, so, um, so that was good. So I had a good schooling there, and then uh, came over. Luckily enough, there was uh, I, I just cold emailed a bunch of comic shops in, in London because I didn't know what else I could do with myself. And, um, <laughs> Uh, luckily, uh, gosh, actually just had a, a, an opening because uh, a Kiwi uh, <laughs> who had been working there was just leaving. So, uh, so I was their uh, I was their requisite Kiwi to come in and replace him. I so I started there doing mail order. Did mail order at Gosh uh, for a couple of years. I was doing mail order and did that for a couple of years, and then I started doing the book ordering, and have kind of held that for for most of the time. Uh, ever since or I've occasionally stepped back and let others sort of manage so Will Kane when he was there he sort of took over the ordering for a while for a couple of years uh, and yourself as well obviously you uh, spent some time there sort of uh, handling all the book ordering yeah, when uh, but I've always kind of yeah yeah I've, I've always <laughs> I've always kind of kept an awe in with it I'm very um, I, I always want to um, have some kind of involvement in it but usually I'm just doing it uh, <laughs> so, and then also I mean the, one of the great things about being at Gosh is I've done so many different kinds of roles and jobs there I've never been bored with it so it's um it's always been a very stimulating place to work 
and I became a sort of manager uh, after Barry left in the kind of mid 2000s. And then I had the opportunity to um, become partner in the business in, whew, crikey, uh, a couple of years ago, 17 now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah right, right, going back yeah. a few few years now. So it all feels like recent history now, isn't it? It's the first <laughs> before. But anyway, so I, and then I've been a partner sort of since since then. But yeah, so I've had a, I've worn a few hats there over my time. <laughs> but uh, you know, obviously, I started uh, back in the Great Russell Street shop and was there for uh, for eleven years, actually. <laughs> it's crazy to think of now, but you know. Well, I was. Uh, I remember when the move was was happening to Soho. Yeah. And saying at the time, I think I said to Nat where. There was this little group of us, uh, yeah. obviously yourself and Josh and the rest of the staff. And I was like, we're going to be the only people that have worked in both shops. I was like, this is like, you know, a great sort of moment in history to be uh, be part of in terms of the shop. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, it's fascinating to sort of think of. I mean, it's funny, you know, because I, I, I mean, that shop was such a, an exercise in space management uh, <laughs> and stock control. <laughs> but, um, it's uh it was a good education in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know how we could have could ever kind of go back to a, a space like that now. But uh, but essentially, yeah, we. Um, I mean, the background on that move. You'd only started like very shortly before the move, I think. Yeah, you? I felt I was uh, annoyed when I first heard about it because I was like, I felt cheated. I was like, like I think I've been. It was only like a few months when it was announced it was going to be happening, and I was yeah. like, oh, you know. I came to work at Gosh. <laughs> this yeah. is Gosh. <laughs> New place. Yeah. Like, you know. um, but that was my initial thing. And then it sort of did yeah. dawn on me. You know, I think once we sort of saw the space and what it was going to look like, we were all very excited yeah. about it. Um, yeah. But then also yeah. there was that thing of like, oh, I'm going to be part of this unique group who's worked in both. I'm going to get to have experienced both. And as you say, yeah, yeah absolutely. you know, the charm of the old shop, um, yeah. was something I think that customers felt more than us like people always whenever when we moved to the new shop one of the things that we heard for like the first year probably you probably still hear it now people go oh I do miss the, the spiral staircase from the old shop <laughs> and I used to say to people I was like yeah it's because you didn't take deliveries up and down it <laughs> Yeah, carrying on boxes up and down the spiral staircase yeah, yeah. you don't miss that as much as like you know I'll tell you what I I have got like zero nostalgia for that old shop. Funnily enough, I, uh, you know it, it, it was great, and um, you know I, I've obviously I had lots of lots of good times there, and uh, you know I, I sort of I love that time, but the shop itself, you know, was such a squash and a squeeze, and trying to manage stock in that shop was just like a nightmare. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, you know trying trying to make that space work, and really I think people have a lot of nostalgia for it, but other than the other than the spiral staircase, it had absolutely zero character to it. The only other bit I always like think was was fun and odd and unique was I remember the first time Nat said to me, "Can you get some uh, carrier bags for me?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, sure." And it was like you know I'd been there a week, yeah. but I was the new guy who didn't know where anything was, and I was like, uh, "I was like, where do we keep uh, carrier bags?" Thinking you know stock room or whatever. And he goes, yeah. "Oh, they're in the shed. They're in the shed." <laughs> and I was like, uh, "All right." And uh, waiting for him to say, no, they're actually, you know, because, uh, you know, obviously not in a shed because it's not a big shop. There's not a shed that I've not seen. And yeah. uh, uh, I just went, all right, and like, laughed. And he was like, um, yeah, I do need those now. And I was like, yeah, no, where are they? Though? And he was like, uh, they're, yeah. they're in the shed. I don't know what to tell you. And I was like, 
what, what when you say shed and he was like go down and obviously i think customers wouldn't have even realized it but there was essentially a back garden to gosh yeah, <laughs> obviously there wasn't the, public the access well. to but yeah yeah there was a, yeah. a little space out with a shed in it which is where the carrier bags were kept and like i don't know i can't imagine ever working in a shop again where there's like a garden shed out the back <laughs> you keep yeah, yeah, yeah. your carrier yeah. bags in <laughs> yeah no they were they were good storage i mean that, well that was it i mean we just you know we we had to find we had to find storage and make storage wherever we could you know yeah, um, absolutely. and so and then every now and then you know because things would get stacked up so high out in the back corridors and stuff as well there'd be a bit of a wait we're really kind of breaking fire rigs here <laughs> kind of moment <laughs> where we'd have to have a big kind of clear out and then you know have to reshuffle and find new space for things and uh, you know, it was just a sort of nightmare i'll tell you i mean a space you probably never went into because there wouldn't have been access to um by the time you started was also underneath the um the sort of footpath out you know behind where the where the mail order desk was there downstairs out through the windows there you had that bit underneath the um, oh yeah yeah you would have gone yeah I didn't know there was access. Yeah, to yeah. It. Wow. No, yeah, there was access to it out in the corridor, so you, you, you know you could get out there, and that was um, I mean, it's creepy as shit out there. It was, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's this sort of like <laughs> little little kind of coal tunnel type things, and uh, yeah, 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 it was weird. But uh, I mean, you know, it was, uh, I, it, yeah, it was it was a great place to to work and and that sort of thing. But um, uh, you know, sort of a a bit of a nightmare to to kind of merchandise and. Uh, to manage, manage and Josh was always jo- Josh's thing was always when Gosh opened on Great Russell Street. That was yeah. it was a, a sort of hotbed of antiquarian and specialist bookshops, you know, around the British Absolutely. Museum. So it was a yeah. a really sort of nice area to be in to be an odd kind of bookshop, which was what I think Gosh. It was. was I mean, it, it, like Bloomsbury and around there was a bookselling area when they opened, and so um, it was very much a, a kind of a part of the part of the scenery around there in terms of you know being a part of that scene if you like um, but uh, you know over time that sort of slowly started to change and by the time you know certainly through the latter part of the uh, of the 2000s um, particularly post crash you know it, those shops all started disappearing and more and more it was sort of given over to tourist tat shops basically you know like London keychains and that sort of thing so just sort of uh, silly little gift stores yeah, it was very much focused yeah. on the tourist market, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, by the time yeah, we left, so. there was a restaurant one side and a money yeah. changing place on the other. And for yeah. some reason, yeah. I never understood because they seemed very distinct doorways to me. But at least once yeah. a day upstairs, you'd get someone come in, look around at the array of yeah. like Asterix books and Barbara Papa figures, and then just look at you and go, money changing? And you go, no. <laughs> It's next door. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I used yeah. to say, like, do people used to go into the money changing places and go, so where's the Tintin? I can't see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you know, you get it all record store. No, no, no. But anyway, <laughs> uh, that uh, that restaurant was notorious. That was a funny old place. Uh, just like absolutely notorious for the dreadful service. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I never um, went there. I never went there. Yeah, yeah. There was one time where somebody ha- had had such terrible service they were refusing to uh, they were refusing to pay their bill, and the the restaurant like grabbed their card and wouldn't let them have their bank card back. And so they they came into us and like I wanted to call the police. And, oh my god, uh, amazing! <laughs> <laughs> and you'd see them you'd see them with big blocks of frozen meat, kind of with like basically like literally with the hammer and chisel, kind of like on the on the step out the back of the restaurant, like cracking apart. Lots of frozen mints. 
yum yum. <laughs> it's like oh god, yeah, 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 absolutely incredible. I mean, that's one of the, you know, uh, uh, being in that part of London um, in the early two thousands was a real eye opener as well because it was such a, a kind of a hotbed of like uh, sort of dealers and and things like that. It was right. uh, yeah, yeah. it's kind of crazy, you know. I mean, it was really uh, you know people kind of shooting up down the alley and 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 that sort of thing. And that that sort of cleaned up over time, but uh, when I first got there, it was a you know at night uh, sit, sitting out the back of the pub or whatever, uh, out the back of the crowd or whatever. It, it was you know you'd always be approached by somebody or uh, you know it was uh, it was a, a dodgy area at the time. Another a, nice sort a of fun character-filled way. <laughs> <laughs> Another nice sort of uh, quirk of that location as well was obviously being opposite the British Museum. And again, yeah. long before I worked at Gosh, one of my favourite things about going to Gosh was there was that period where, you know, the the famous black carrier bags, um, yeah. and the design on it was essentially a hieroglyph, which I've yeah. discovered yeah. since was a set, was I think Josh had spoke to someone over at the British Museum, and it was uh, and I might have been, you know, mis misinformed here, but it was like the closest hieroglyphic translation you could get of the word Gosh. Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah, incredible. Um, I mean, and when, most um, shops don't do that. The, the, car, the cartouche, the cartouche. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when we uh, had the the logo redesigned in the uh, God, I can't even remember when that was. Now that was must have been the sort of late two thousands, I guess. Much to the consternation uh, of many, uh, <laughs> who love the old logo. Um, but uh, we had Ryan Hughes designed the new logo, and uh, we wanted to make sure cartouche was incorporated into it somehow so the the kind of if you like the sort of bomb outline the exclamation mark at the end in the new gosh logo is the shape of that cartouche basically wow um, yeah I've, I've loved all the gosh logos i think it, one of the things you know i don't uh, need to <laughs> <laughs> but like what we're, what we're, i should say there's all the sort of graphic design like i say the old adverts yeah. and stuff you know that, that yeah. the, i think the sort of the visual look of the around the shop has been as important as the shop itself it sort of shows in the yeah, well, detail where it's not you know because particularly as say in like old comics magazines you see a lot yeah. of sort of not bad adverts but just basic ones where it'd be like name of shop little explosion thing that says back issues maybe uh just a clipped out picture of spider-man and an address and a phone number whereas like the gosh ones always felt like they had a lot of thought and an effort put into them well, oh, I mean that all that all kind of flows from Josh, really. I mean mm. he's um, he's very specific about what he wants from a, a design aesthetic, and um, he you know has has quite strong ideas on on that front. And you know uh, other people will do design work, but he'll always have input into it. And I suspect like those early kind of cut and paste ads and stuff, he he probably handled himself. I mean I couldn't tell you for sure, but but yes, I, I mean Josh is always. You know, there's a certain type of look that he um, that he wants, and uh, so you know, we were whatever we do is generally kind of guided by that, and it's a sort of a you know, generally like a, a much more polished look than uh, certainly in the old days you would have expected from from most people. Yeah, absolutely. One of the yeah. things uh, Josh has always been very open about as well, though, is despite the sort of deliberate direction of the shop and the design aesthetic and everything. Mm. You know, one, of the, one of the important events that happened for Gosh's sort of success and survival 
was the Batman yeah. movie in 89. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and that sort of explosion. of I mean, it, they started, like, the shot started at, you know, a perfect time for a comic yeah. shop to start, yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, just you, you had that kind of um, sort of whammy of the post kind of Dark Knight Watchmen sort of uh, market and um, then the Batman film, you know, obviously then it all goes to shit next decade. But I mean, <laughs> you know, but even, even then you still had that, that kind of, um, you know, the, those sort of early 90s sort of um, boom years as well. You know, there were a lot of cash suddenly flowing in which always helps to weather out the bad years. And I, and I think part of Gosh's longevity is down to the fact that, that Josh is very prudent with money, you know. So when there's good times, he doesn't squander that. And uh, so that there, there is something there to, to take you through the bad times. Um, also, just like not fully bandwagon jumping. Like with the Batman movie, yeah. making the most of that opportunity, but never sort of you know, fully investing for like, yeah. this is what you have to, you have to pivot to this completely. And as you say, absolutely, like, absolutely. Gosh felt like the perfect shop at the perfect time in terms of, you know, the rise of yeah. vertigo and mature readers and just things like, yeah. you know, while still selling and loving superhero comics and having the back sign outside, but also offering people yeah. alternatives once they're inside, you know, that's the, the, the sort of interesting thing, as you say, having that thing where like you're selling and, and really pushing love and rockets so once people do get to sort of 15 16 and they're not necessarily feeling the same way as they did about the same comics they were enjoying five years ago there's a ready-made alternative that you can still sort of like guide them towards yeah i mean it's that you know it's it's why it's why a sort of a diversified customer base should be a no-brainer because then you're not trend reliant you know so if you can like broaden your customer base as much as possible you know if you can move as far away from the old kind of 10%, 90% 10%, 90% rule, you know, or 90%, 10%. So, you know, the, the idea that 90% of your sales come off 10% of your stock. If you can move yeah. yourself as far away from that rule as possible, it just strengthens you for, for downturns in sectors of the market and, and that kind of thing. And you get that by diversifying your customer base, you know, broadening as much as you can and offering, offering something for everyone, but not in a way that diminishes your uh, identity, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, I guess you almost try and make that a part of your identity, you know. Um, so, and it's a really fine balance. I mean, so, you know, when Gosh moved, I mean, obviously we we moved, it's a sort of a happy coincidence, really. I mean, we moved in 2011. Uh, and it was because, you know, th- things had been on a bit of a downturn anyway. Obviously, it was post sort of uh, post market crash and all of that kind of thing. But, um, you know, business for us, we weren't in trouble or anything, but it certainly wasn't buoyant. And uh, basically, we had uh, a thing happen where somebody bought the building uh, and wanted to sort of change our lease so that we would have, uh, in effect, without going into the boring details, would have been paying more money for less space. Uh, and so we decided, oh, well, actually, let's move. Uh, and uh, and we found that spot at 1 Berwick Street, which was, um, you know, it was a lovely spot. Obviously, it's, you know, nice big windows on the corner, number one, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, in an area that we hadn't, um, you know, that sort of felt like, well, this might be all right. There's good foot traffic around here and so on and so forth. You know, we were a bit scared at the time because uh, we relied so much on the British Museum for uh, for foot traffic. And so we were worried about what that might do to ourselves. We were worried about what moving into the middle of Soho might do might do to our sales on sort of kids books and so on and so forth. Obviously when we moved there, we discovered that, Oh, actually um, 
this is much better. But yeah, I remember uh, that, that, that first couple of days where uh, we were talking about it, we were like, will we ever see a pram in the show? Yeah. That was something we yeah, actually yeah, yeah. talked about. Will we ever see a pram? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, I couldn't tell you what it's been like uh, more recently, but like, it was, yeah, most of the time there's a pram in the shop. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were sort of two things we forgot. Number one, with regard to losing that foot traffic, A, there's shitloads of foot traffic in Soho, uh, and, <laughs> and B, people in Soho are there to shop. Yeah. And whereas people uh, going to the British Museum are going to the British Museum, and they might shop if they happen to come in and see something they like, but they're not shopping in the area. You know what I mean? They're not, yeah. they're not looking to buy something for somebody's birthday necessarily in that area. Uh, so there's, there's that for one. And the other thing was, is we just sort of forgot how many people actually live in Soho, you know, yeah. and how many families actually live in Soho uh, or around that area. And uh, so, you know, we saw a lot of traffic from just like local families and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, our, our kids section, which was you know, all, all right when we started, just sort of went from strength to strength, really. But uh, in, in terms of, as I say, just jumping back, in terms of maintaining that balance, so obviously uh, when we, uh, that balance of sort of keeping a broad, as broad an audience as possible uh, and identity, when we moved, I mean, we'd always had an identity as a place where you could go for sort of graphic novels and, uh, and that sort of thing. And then when we moved, we kind of made the decision to put superheroes down in the basement, obviously, which is... Um, caused a, a lot of uh, hue and cry <laughs> from <laughs> from certain sources and, and that was the thing and and even though we were still doing you know we still had just as much space dedicated to new comics as we'd ever had more space dedicated to superhero graphic novels more space dedicated to back issues but because it was downstairs this this started this kind of narrative that we were kind of like hiding the superheroes and i think yeah. you know people there'd always been a certain sort of uh, Sector had seen us as a bit kind of maybe a little bit stuck up or a bit sort of hipsterish or whatever, you know, and this really kind of played into that narrative. And from certain sources, there might have been headline articles that played into that narrative. Um, <laughs> and, and just just this idea that like, oh, they're kind of ashamed of the superheroes and they're pushing them down into the basement. And it's like, but but really the whole kind of uh, thinking behind that was basically people who want superhero comics, who want the periodical comics, they know that you can find them in a comic shop and they will they will go downstairs to find them in a comic shop nobody ever talked about fucking forbidden planet being ashamed of superheroes but you know <laughs> um they will find them you know what i mean they, they'll seek them out so they'll go downstairs and and, and that sort of thing but i was used to say to wanted, people it's sort of it's basic retail like if you go to a yeah. supermarket and you want milk yeah. You've got to walk yeah. to the back of the shop. Not they're ashamed of milk, yeah. but they know you'll yeah. be motivated to walk to milk. I mean, milk is so juvenile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> milk, milk's for everyone. I mean, this is but like this yeah, is the thing. Yeah. So, and they want you to walk past all the the sweets and crisps that yeah. you don't like necessarily need, but you might grab yeah. them if you see them. And you know, yeah. it was it was sort of basic retail. And I always used to say to people as well. I was like. Come in and talk to us about superheroes. Like, I love talking about yeah. superheroes. You love talking yeah, about Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole concept of upstairs was to not plaster it with sort of superhero stuff or, or bright, vivid superhero stuff because they know, you know, there, there is a, a large chunk of, of our potential audience who, in their mind, know what that is and they know they're not interested in it. And so they won't go in, you know. And, and that's the, the idea was well, actually, you want to create an environment. It's kind of familiar to people, like a bookstore type environment, 
so they kind of know what it is and it's not sort of like weird and um sort of scary for them but at the same time it's got lots of stuff they've never seen before you know and so they're not quite sure what it is so they'll come in and have a look around and then obviously you've got the display table and that is populated with books that are generally kind of um you know featuring very accessible kind of subject matter or, or stuff that people would find very interesting and aesthetics that people would find engaging i think yeah. it's sort of such a good thing in terms of just showing people these things exist as a subject which sort of like would yeah. blow people's minds like you know if yeah. people come yeah. in and go they pick up like berlin by jason lutz and go what's this and you go oh it's a comic all about the fall of the Weimar Republic and the rise of Nazism in Germany in the 30s. And they're like, what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah it's yeah. a comic. Uh, it's a you know, really interesting sort of character study, but also charts uh, this huge social and political upheaval in Germany in the 1930s. And it, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. What's in that? Oh, jazz musicians, you know, Nazis, uh, communists, as you'd imagine, meticulously yeah. researched, the right trams in the right places. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, and that's it. I mean, uh, but it's. I mean, my. You know, the the thing I always kind of like harp on about is basically the idea is I want to sell comics to people who don't read comics. You know, and that's that's the idea for me because that's that's where the market is really. I mean, it feels like there's still such a huge market out there that can be reached. You know, that uh, can discover comics, and uh, and so you know, gosh, to me is like one giant outreach program. Uh, in a way and that's that's how I like to how I like yeah, to see it and that's not to say we neglect the old stuff because again actually going back to my point uh, that I was uh, drifted away from there is that you know you want to make as, as broad as possible and it's hard to do it and it's hard to find that balance and you don't always get it right I mean obviously you know we tried broadening and I and I do think we've successfully broadened but you know we did have to fight this whole kind of idea that we were neglecting an entire sort of genre of comics because uh you know we we sort of happened to put them in the basement you know what i mean um and because people are, are sort of suspicious <laughs> of uh, <laughs> of sort of snootiness and stuff and the idea i mean you know the idea that anybody would think of me as being in any way like snooty or pretentious <laughs> is, is absolutely fucking mind boggling to me but um uh you know it, it's yeah I, it, it is what it is but it's comic snob um, andrew salmons that's right that's right noted comic snob andrew salmons <laughs> um so yeah I, you know it, it's it's been very interesting like watching the audience change over the years obviously you had you know we always had the sort of kids books but that's that's grown and now even what's interesting is our picture book market has almost shrunk a bit but the, the kind of kids graphic novel market has exploded you know for example and we've sort of that upstairs space gets flexed and changed over time to kind of sometimes to follow what we feel a certain trend sometimes to anticipate you know or to to send a, a kind of a strong message you know i mean putting all of the small press front and center in the doorway is is very much intended as sort of sending a, a, a strong message about what we're about you know and also again puts even more material in the doorway that people will have never seen you know uh, sort of draw them in uh, while at the same time also um, you know handily it's worked as a, a means of reducing sort of uh, shoplifting on, uh, <laughs> on Doctor <laughs> Who and Star Wars graphic novels so there you go uh, <laughs> yeah I mean with the small print so there's, stuff there's a, a huge chance yeah. that it's going to be you know a few things in there where you're literally the only stockist in London yeah 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 so that's a, a unique know, offering isn't it yeah 
so there's all of that i mean it's um you know it, it's an imperfect science but we, we're constantly sort of tweaking and and changing i mean yeah that's the other thing as well you just can't be you can't be static you know you've you've always got to be developing and, and changing and and that sort of thing and i, I think a, a big part of it is is you know certainly as uh speaking for myself as a manager and that kind of thing it's about kind of re recognizing your own weaknesses and when to step aside and let other people do their thing and um kind of recognizing the sort of strengths and the people you hire i mean that's i think one thing we've been very very lucky with is in the sort of quality of the staff we've had you know and you know it's about kind of letting people bring ideas to the table and um not necessarily saying yes to everything but you know take, out, taking on yeah yeah and, and taking on the good ideas you know i mean i think anybody who's been at gosh for any length of time has, has instituted something that's been like a change for it, that that's become a, a permanent thing you know what i mean um <laughs> and i think uh yeah i helped you build the shelves in the uh stock room isn't it? So, exactly legacy. yeah 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 <laughs> legacy yeah yeah um but about you know that I, I think that's really important i think you know um that lets you flex because you know new people come into the business and bring new ideas and that helps you sort of develop as a business, you know, and helps you change because for all the goodwill in the world, you know, you, you can, you can be an absolutely brilliant retailer, but over the course of, you know, 30, 40 years, you're going to run out of ideas. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and and at, at some, at some level, you're going to lose touch with trends. You know, you kind of need, you need to bring people in to uh, to really sort of guide in that way. Just to wrap up, obviously, as we record this, it's an odd time in the world <laughs> generally, an odd time for retail what? outlets generally, an <laughs> odd time for, for, for comic jobs. The coronavirus and the resultant sort of lockdowns and restrictions on movement and shops open and whatnot. Gosh, yeah. of course, offering a mail order service throughout. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and selling uh, vouchers on uh, uh, web shops. So if people do want to support the shop and bank some money for when uh, things do get back to normal and they can visit the shop again, that will be waiting for them. But yeah. I think most exciting of all, you're moving to developing a, not comprehensive, but certainly bigger yeah. web store than uh, we've, we've ever seen from Bosch before. Yeah, I mean, when, it, when it's all said and done, it will be it'll be pretty comprehensive. I mean, uh, um, the idea eventually is to have basically all of our all of our books stock um, available on the web store, uh, along with you know, if we come across things that we can um, say, for example, Im imported books and things like that that normally would just sort of be treated as like small press or, or, or so on and so forth, then, um, you know, things like that, that are rarities that people can't get anywhere else. We'll try and get that stuff up as well. But um, essentially the idea is in the long run, pretty much everything except for sort of single issues, you know, for the single periodical comics, just we're kind of veering away from that just because of the, the kind of work involved in maintaining that for what's essentially, you know, a periodical, something that's only really, um, available for a certain period of time yeah and back, and back issues as well obviously as well so it's something that the work involved in kind of maintaining it fluctuates too that. much doesn't it to sort of know what yeah 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 what and, and we just grades are different prices so you can't even fix that so it's, yeah. yeah and certain operations can really make that work but we just don't have the resources to put into it in terms of you know the the sort of 
type of space we have, the, the number of staff we would have dedicated to that. And um, I guess, you know, we always make choices about where we want to put our energies in terms of like, uh, you know, selling and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we, we never, never did pops, for example, and, and stuff like that. You know, there, there are places where people, some people might be able to make some good, easy cash out of stuff where we've decided, well, actually, you know, we do want to cater across the board, but we do have an identity we do want to pursue. And so, you know, our choice is to put our energies into, you know, where we feel we can get the best return for, for what we do, you know, and, and what our reputation is about. The, the shop's open at the moment. Obviously, you're still populating it with uh, stock. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the yeah, shop's yeah, not no, open at the moment. As of now, I, uh, I just, uh, just went live yesterday. So, yeah, uh, we, yeah we, we still got, I mean, we have... As, as of this moment, we've kind of put description information and covers in for about two and a half thousand items. I have also just chucked up a bunch of uh, other stuff without any descriptions or um, uh, or images, just in case people are looking for certain things. Uh, that's about another two thousand items. In total, when it's all said and done, there's probably about ten thousand items that need kind of populating in that store. So you know. It's it's going to be a little it could be an ongoing process for for a little while yet. Yeah. A, a fun thing for people to uh, keep an eye on and uh, yeah, we'll keep keep looking if you can't find something. I would also say if you can't find something, um, drop us a message because there's still a good chance we either may have it or can order it. So you know, we're always um, happy to to get orders in for people. I mean, it's tough. We've always resisted doing a comprehensive web store just because we thought, you know what, I mean, with Amazon and stuff out there, it's just not worth it. But actually, um, you do get, you know, a lot of people wanting to support independent stores and um, we get people wanting to order books from us specifically because they, they want uh, to to kind of point the cash at us rather than like a gigantic sort of tax dodging multinational. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's... Uh, so actually, we decided actually it's in our interest to get everything up. Also, because the long-term goal will be to bring some of that kind of expertise we have really to to kind of highlight things that we think you know, hey, you know, this, this is good stuff. You should buy this. You know, almost replicate that in-store experience in a way by saying, yeah, here, here's good stuff. This is this is what you know you should try if you haven't read this before. And we've done things like we've got our best of the year program. We've got those best of the year titles up on the website now, for example, our book plate items, which tend to be things we want to promote as well. So uh, there's an element of that now, but I'm sort of formulating ideas of other things we can do to um, to kind of go down that route to make it a more curated experience in terms of what you're, um, you know, what you're guided towards. If people go to goshlondon.com, that gives them all the information yeah. on Gosh in general, uh, access to yeah. the new web store. And also... Uh, access to the blog which is always an informative and entertaining read and obviously at the moment we'll have all the latest updates in terms of the shop's activities and you know absolutely when when, when i get around to it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but but normally but normally weekly uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah 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 so that's uh that's something i mean I, I, I should also say in terms of the strong aesthetic uh sense of gosh um that's not currently in the website. That's all me <laughs> right now. And, uh, and in terms of knowing my own weaknesses, a strong aesthetic sense is definitely one of mine. <laughs> so it's just not, not really my area. But, I've, uh, you know, I do what I can. Uh, <laughs> no, you've so, got uh, uh, crazy enigmas up there. It's good. 
exactly exactly yeah 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 <laughs> uh, so yeah but uh yes please go to the go to the website order uh order comments because we're not making money in the other way right now so uh <laughs> in this in this crazy time i should say uh, one of the one of the things this time is really highlighted as well as just the strength of of those kind of standing orders, you know, people having their orders set up for comics and that sort of thing. There was a period just after things really started going south where, I mean, people getting their standing orders mailed out to them was, was the only money we had coming in. And, uh, and you know, it was great. Like, the support we were getting from people was really touching. And, uh, you know, it, it really re-emphasizes that, that fact that there's a sort of a community at the heart of a good comic shop, you know, and it was really nice to have that sense of people kind of rallying around and, and just how, just how valuable that regular custom is to us, you know, I mean, I talk about, it is all, for me, it's about the outreach, it's about finding a new audience for comics, it's about getting comics out there to people, but at the same time, you know, you can never take that sort of core audience for granted because they're, they're so valuable to us as a store. Well, so I think the one of the things that Gosh has done so successfully over the years is balancing retaining that core audience and mm. finding new customers through, you know, innovation and creativity. And, you know, the reason people are going to respond to a crisis like is by supporting it, a shop like Gosh is because yeah. it's recognized as being a good and important place to uh, support. You know, from, yeah. from my yeah. point of view, I was a fan of Gosh before I worked there. And then I was lucky enough to work there. And even after leaving, I'm still, if, if anything, I'm a bigger fan of Gosh, having sort of seen uh, how the place operates and goes about what it does. So um, best of luck for the future, Andrew. And uh, thank you for joining. Thank you very much. Cheers, Steve. Thanks again to Andrew for talking to us. And thank you for listening. See you next month. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy.